0: And good morning. You're listening to the Prologue. I am Doug Dahlgren, and I welcome each of you out there to America's Web Radio and our show. Now, each week at this time, I bring you interesting guests with books, music, or maybe just a story to tell that hopefully you'll enjoy and look into further on your own. Now, these programs are all recorded and available to you free in podcast form on the show's webpage here at americaswebradio.com. From that main page, select Programs, then select Friday at 11 a.m. You'll find our show listed there. Simply scroll down to the program you would like to hear. They're listed in reverse chronological order. Click on the show you want to hear, and it'll come up and play on your computer. It's really that simple. We hope you'll tell your, your friends about our program, and if you're interested in being a guest, I'd like you to reach out and contact me. I've got email at Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com, or you can use Doug at com, whichever you prefer. Just reach out, tell me a little bit about yourself, we'll get you on the schedule and get you in on the program in an upcoming date. Now, our prologue today is about the guest. She's an author and a career educator. With bachelor's and master's degrees in English, she's listed in the volumes of Who's Who in Education and Who's Who in Teaching? She's a member of the Authors Guild, the Virginia Writers, and Lake Writers. Her first novel, Eagle Bait, is an award-winning novel about bullying in schools. Eagle Bait has been cited as a resource by six national anti-bullying venues, including a bibliography for students, parents and teachers on bullying, and social issues booklets. This outstanding first effort won both the New York Public Library's Books for the Teenage Award and International Reading Association's Young Adult Choice Award. Not resting on her laurels, our guest's next writing adventures have turned to the world of the cozy mystery, her southern gothic style, in that she brings us the novels A Red, Red Rose and its sequel, The Haunting beneath the stones now here to tell us more about herself and her work is virginia author susan coriel welcome to the program susan how are you this morning
1: thank you doug i'm just fine
0: well i want to thank you again appreciate you coming in here this morning southern gothic is a term that we've heard but tell us a little bit more what do you mean by cozy mystery
1: Well, uh, both of these books that you mentioned, A Red, Red Rose and Beneath the Stones, are what we call cross-genre because they do seem to cover both the cozy mystery and the Southern Gothic. Uh, Cozy mystery takes place in a rural or pastoral, bucolic sort of a setting. Quirky characters that you might read about and say, oh, I know someone like that. And most of the gore and sex, if there is any, would be offstage. Uh, very heavily uh, leaning on the mystery. Southern Gothic, then, takes place, obviously, in the South, Uh, usually involves an old uh, mansion-type house. Uh, The paranormal uh, may be involved, and it is involved in both of mine, and also a character that we call a grotesque, which would be someone who has some sort of anomaly, mental, physical. Uh, Carson McCullers is a typical Southern Gothic novelist and Her characters had hunchbacks, or they were lame, or uh, it could also be a sort of a psychotic kind of a character, and I do uh, employ um, a few of those in each one of my books.
0: All right, so we've got a little spooky going on there. Oh, yeah. All right. Now, you and your husband live in Virginia in an area known as Smith Mountain Lake, and that's outside of Roanoke. Now, is that where you're from originally, or are you raised in that area?
1: No, I am a a native-born Virginian, and I have lived most of my life in Virginia. I was born in Fairfax County, Virginia, which is northern Virginia, which is quite different from southern Virginia. Some people consider it a different state. It is so different. It's very um, urban, uh, suburban. It's not rural. Um, It's close to Washington, D.C. A lot of federal jobs and uh, high population quite different from uh, where we moved to retire to. The traffic alone in Fairfax County is enough to, to run you off. So uh, it was a good place to raise kids. Schools are good, lots of programs, lots of culture, but uh, not a very good place to retire. And uh, so we are very happily ensconced here in the mountains with a beautiful lake.
0: You mentioned raising kids. Now, uh, from your your family, how many uh, children were in your as you were coming up?
1: I have uh, my brothers, um, twins, they are five years older than I, and my sister, who is five years younger than I am, so there were four of us all together.
0: Any other writers or prolific readers in your
2: family?
1: Uh, All prolific readers. Um, Both of my brothers are published writers. They do write nonfiction. They're both college deans, so they publish a lot of academic stuff. It's hard to read, some of it, but um, I'm the only fiction writer. Now, my... Grandfather on my mother's side was a published poet, and um, he loved uh, to write children's stories. Uh, He was actually a lawyer by uh, trade, but he just loved to write. And I I think that writing gene carried through me and my siblings, and quite a few of our children, my brothers and mine, are writers. And um, I actually have at least one of my seven grandchildren who informed me over the summer that she intends to be a writer when she grows up, and it doesn't surprise me
0: at all. How wonderful. All right, yeah. very good. Now, was there any one of those people that you mentioned that motivated you yourself to begin thinking about writing, or was it just a gene, as you described it?
1: To tell you say the truth, Doug, I have always been a writer. Uh, my mother used to say I was born with a pencil in my hand. Um, I did strange things that writers do. Uh, I would write uh, letters to my friends instead of calling them, and I was quite incensed when they called me and did not write back. Uh, I began writing poems as early as I can remember and uh, stories. Um, I just I knew I was a writer, and I truly think that writers know who we are, and writers do have to write, and it will come out some somehow, sometime, as my... Uh, Eagle Bait did when I was teaching school full-time. I was department chair. I had three children. My husband owned his own business. We were so busy, we didn't have time to scratch our heads, and yet I decided that was a good time for me to start writing. Don't ask me why. But it comes out, and writers have to write.
0: Well, for a writer, you've got a tremendous family background, that's for sure. Uh, You say that uh, your children and grandchildren write. What is it that uh, they write about?
1: Well, my older son is a a lawyer, and he says that uh, writing got him through law school. He's not much on math or, you know, uh, logic, but that he was able to write his way through uh, law school. But he also has written some humorous columns. He lives in Richmond, Virginia, for the uh, Richmond newspapers. Uh, My middle child, uh, my daughter Heidi, um, is a writer. She got a degree in writing, in fact, from college, and she has written for newspapers and magazines, and she is now writing in the... uh, Art and Design Department for Clemson University, and my youngest son Derek um, lives in Honolulu, Hawaii, and he is a history teacher there in a private school. But he has been published in um, old literary magazines. He writes beautiful poetry, and someday he's going to end up being a full-time writer. I just conceal it.
0: Well, with your notoriety, do any of these folks ever call on you to proofread or maybe edit some of their manuscripts?
1: Yes, they do, but in, <laughs> turnabout is fair play. And I, I deal, I, I lean on them a lot more than they lean on me. Uh, my daughter, in fact, I've cited both my daughter and my daughter-in-law, the one who's married to the Hawaiian. Uh, they are both uh, excellent writers. And my daughter-in-law is a librarian, and she reads constantly. And uh, she and my daughter have just been wonderful editors for me. I do some editing for them, but they do much, much more for me.
0: In your process, do you send them a completed manuscript, or do you send them several pages uh, just to see how things are going?
1: I do both. Um, When I'm in the uh, composing process, I will send a couple of pages or a couple of paragraphs. Uh, But my daughter-in-law in in Hawaii, um, they had to have their second child, and she was on maternity leave when we were visiting them. Uh, was beneath, when I had Benita Stones in manuscript form, and she really critiqued the entire manuscript for me because she was home. Of course, I got to keep the baby, so it was a very nice trade-off.
0: Good trade-off. Yes, that's, that sounds good. Now, your publisher is Wild Rose Press, Incorporated. Yes. Do they do a, uh, a final edit uh, that you're allowed to, to go over, or how does that work?
1: Oh, my goodness. Do they do a final edit? I have a wonderful editor. Her name is Alicia Dean. I hope she catches this broadcast. Uh, she has edited both of my books published with the Wild Rose Press. I think she sends stuff back and forth to me probably half a dozen times. Uh, she and I are both determined it's going to be perfect, and, and my books really are just about perfect. There may be a typo uh, through print setting or something, but very, very, very few of those the editing is very thorough, and I appreciate that.
0: As a writer, I know, uh, and you may or may not agree, but editing has to be monitored because an editor can uh, accidentally change the voice or change the meaning of an entire sentence. Uh, do, do you ever have that problem with your editing?
1: Not much. Alicia, as I say, is really top-notch. I did have that problem with uh, another editor um, on something else I was working on. It was not in any of these books. And um, I just had to say, well, that's your opinion, you know, I, this is what I want to stay with. And generally, uh, they will agree with you. Now, I do remember when I was writing Eagle um, uh, my editor called me. They, uh, it was published originally by uh, Harcourt, and they were located in California. And this was before computers were so, you know, available. And she called me and she said, well, we're worried that um, we don't think they're really bullies Schools like there are in this book and of course I was teaching in middle school then you know middle school is the petri dish for bully germs let me tell you and so I, there was a, an edit, uh, edit, uh, article that had been just published in the Washington Post which was our major paper about bullies in the school so I highlighted it and wrapped it up and mailed it to California and I said they're alive and well where I live and you know I never heard another word about it they didn't require me to change anything so you do you're right you know you do have to fight the battle sometimes if you know you're right
0: now you were a teacher you were a teacher for 30 years what uh, age groups and what subject matter did you teach
1: I have taught everything a certified English teacher can teach I have taught uh, reading and writing and creative writing and speech and drama I have taught um, transitional English for kids who are not native speakers And I have taught every possible uh, mental level from seventh graders to advanced placement literature, twelfth graders, and I've also taught teachers uh, and professional courses. So if if, if an English teacher can teach it, I have taught it.
0: (laughs) And all of this, your entire career, was spent in Virginia?
1: Uh, I did teach for two years in a private school in Hawaii.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. How would you compare your experience to what teachers are having to deal with today? I mean, briefly. I know it's a big subject, but things have gotten tough at the public schools, haven't they?
1: They have, and I could get up on a soapbox, but I won't, But because I think I retired at just about the right time. I would just say that I'm very much opposed to politics getting into education. If you've got good teachers with good principals, with good department chairs, um, who are curriculum um, oriented but child knowledgeable? You should have a good system. Uh, don't overload the teacher. Don't. Cut there the you funding. go,
0: folks. We Let are here this know. morning. We are here. We're here with Susan Coriel, and you're listening to the Prologue on America's Web Radio. And we are going to be back with more from this terrific Virginia author in just a couple of minutes.
2: Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare.
4: from Doug Dahlgren, an action series that grabs you and won't let go. Four members of Congress all die within months. Each death appears to be from natural causes, but when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary war heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search uncovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun, Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, in Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com.
3: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
0: And good morning. We are here this morning with Susan Coriel. She is an author and a former educator from Virginia. We've been talking about her talent that's from her family and that she has uh, been gifted with. And she also has told us she was a teacher for 30 years, uh, mostly in the Virginia area, sometime in Hawaii. But now, Susan, as a teacher, uh, I guess the best way to put it is you were on the front lines of what that job is all about today. The subject matter of your first book, the title is Eagle Bait. It deals with situations on those front lines. Was there a particular incident or something that you witnessed that sparked you to write about that?
1: Well, yes. Um, I think most readers need some kind of an inspiration and all of my books are sparked, so to speak. Uh, And I also deal very heavily in theme. And what I noticed was that some of these kids who were bullied in intermediate or middle middle school um, were able to sort of rise above it and move on, whereas others were devastated and just seemed to never get over it. And I thought, what is the difference, what makes the difference, and I came to the conclusion that it's self-esteem. And so I tried to build in into the novel some ideas, some steps that kids who are bullied can take to raise their self-esteem. And really, there there's three things, and one is to tell a, a responsible adult who will help you, and another is to try to find a mentor um, among the teachers, which is not as easy as it might sound. And the third is to find something you really, really love, and my character, Wardy Stinks, loves science, and, and get good at it. Get really good at it, and you will be amazed that you will start to gather a certain uh, group around you who, who feels the same way you do or who loves the same thing you love, and that's a great way to build self-esteem. So that's kind of the theme and the uh, inspiration both for the book.
0: And quite a book it is. It's not just a run-of-the-mill book about uh, your experience in teaching. This thing has been with awards, as I said. Could you tell us a little bit about those awards?
1: Well, the uh, books for the teenage um, is just a really cool thing. I, they just called me and said, your, your book is one of the ones that has won. And I went up to New York to the public library, and one with the big lions on each side of the steps, and there were some other uh, young adult authors there that um, I had been reading and, and teaching to my students, so it was a thrill for me to meet these these really famous authors, and here I was with them, so that was fun. Um, and um, they just decided my book, and it, it got some publicity for that. And then the International Reading Association was my favorite award, because the kids selected it uh, every year. The uh, the association puts out, oh, I don't know how many titles, they give kids and they have readers, they have kid readers, and they select a certain number that um, they consider the top books. And Eagle Bait was one of them, and they actually featured the cover at that time on the front of um, the article. So um, that was very exciting. They featured my, my cover, it was the only cover uh, for the article. So those were two really prestigious and uh, fun awards that I got for that
0: is putting it mildly for a first offering it just really had to be exciting to have all the accolades and recognition you received for that first effort Um, and and it really propelled you and gave you the confidence to go into trying to write in the novel platform and it leads us to uh, a red red rose yeah was was this a story that uh, like a lot of us we've always had it in the back of our mind and now we're suddenly released and allowed to bring this forward? Or was it something that just came to you for the moment?
1: Well, it was a little bit of each. Uh, my husband was a real estate broker up in Northern Virginia, in Fairfax County, and he had listed um, this property that was rumored to be haunted. And it was a beautiful property, and I really don't like real estate. I find it very boring, to tell you the truth. But anyway. I And I rarely mingled with what he did, but I said, oh, I want to see that house. So he took me, and um, I did feel a little prickly, you know, but I, we never really saw or heard or felt specifically any any paranormal activity. Uh, but I thought, wow, well, this is um, something I could write a story about. And I never got around to writing it uh, when we lived there, but when we retired, I had a little more time on my hands, and I resurrected that that uh, inspiration and made the setting uh, more mountain lake, sort of thinly disguised Smith Mountain Lake where I where I live because uh, I had gotten to know uh, the area pretty well. And, of course, all the characters are fiction, and most of the places are fiction unless I specifically ask, may I use the actual name of your winery or store or whatever. Uh, but it's it's really based on where I live now. So it's a little bit of each uh,
0: well, it's a mystery. Like you yeah. said, it's got... I don't want to give the story away too much here, but tease the audience with a little bit about, or a little more, about what this is about.
1: Well, how about if I just read this little blurb on the back of the book? Okay. When 20, is that okay? When yes, twenty absolutely. Okay, I'll start again. When 20-year-old Ashby Overton travels to Overholme Estate for the summer... She hopes to unearth her ancestral roots and the cause of a mysterious family rift surrounding the death of her grandmother, Lenore, many years ago. From the moment she enters her room in the oldest wing, Ashby feels an invisible, enfolding presence. She learns the room once belonged to a woman named Rosabelle, but no one is willing to talk about Rosabelle. No one except Luke, the stable boy who captures Ashby's heart. As Ashby and Luke become closer, she realizes he can be the confidant she needs to share a terrifying secret unfolding. Ever-present is a force Ashby never sees, only feels. Candles light themselves, notes from an old lullaby fall from the ceiling. The radio tunes itself each day, and roses appear in the unlikeliest places. Are the roses a symbol of love, or do they represent something dark, something deep, something evil? No, that's the blurb.
0: Susan Coriel, tell our listeners where they can find A Red Red Rose.
1: Uh, you can find all of my books on all online booksellers, and that would include Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, um, uh, the, the publisher, the Wild Rose Press, for these, the two the mysteries, and um, uh, but a red, red rose has been selected by Amazon for their Encore program uh, because it's been out there two years now, and they have they select certain well-received, well-reviewed books from certain publishers, and they offer um, exclusive, only in the ebook version, exclusive, exclusively through Amazon, and in return for that, uh, they do promote. Uh, the book so uh, that as of uh, September 8th is a new release and it will have a new cover uh, I like the new cover it had to have a new cover because I have blood just a little bit of blood on the front of the original cover and they don't want any blood no blood no nudity so um, I have a new cover for Red Red Rose and just the e-book will be coming out September 8th through Amazon otherwise you can get all my books through uh, booksellers online booksellers
0: well, now you also have a website, do you not?
1: I do. It's www.SusanCorealAuthor.com, and Coriel is spelled C-O-R-Y-E-L-L.
0: That's Susancorielauthoraltogether.com. dot com, uh-huh. And that'll uh-huh. get you all the information and links and, and yeah. anything you really need to know about any of her work. Now, Southern emphasize southern that implies not only a discussion of the supernatural we expect that but there's also regional cultural issues that are implied in your stories clashes between the north and the south the values that play a part of daily lives are are really in your story aren't they
1: absolutely Um, and again theme is just extremely important to me i think it's what makes Literature, liter- literature. It makes uh, for valid literature. Let me just say. Otherwise, if you just got that plot and action, you're going to forget it because it doesn't mean anything to you. But theme is that underlying meaning. Is what does the author want you to take from the book? And um, certainly, the South is just ripe for uh, for writers. Uh, I don't know if you've always been in the South. I've always lived in the South. Um, I know you live in Georgia. I live in Virginia, but. You know, in the South, there's a long-held, heartfelt beliefs, and some of them battle with modern ideas. And it's, it's a perfect thematic clash. Um, and where I live, you do have the wealthy and the poor. And um, there's a slight middle class, perhaps, but the, a lot of the, the lake homeowners are quite, quite wealthy. I am not, but a lot of them are. And a lot of the people who grew up around here and stayed here before the lake was even formed are your good, hard-working farmers and, and truck drivers. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're blue-collar, but they're hard workers. Uh, and they don't make a lot of money. They work hard for their money. So um, there, there's some clashing there um, between the locals and the lakers. And I, I do bring that out, particularly in the Red, Red Rose, I think, more so than beneath the stone's. Um, so, I hope I answered that question.
0: Oh, you did. In other words, you've got the, the interest in those southern concerns, as you described them, about the culture and society, and, and Lord knows today we're going through another uh, round of that in a great big way, but you, you effectively weave that into your story. Is, is that right?
1: I do, and it's a, especially a Red, Red Rose. Now, in Beneath the Stones, which we really haven't, you might not be ready to talk about this yet, but the theme is a bit different Beneath the Stones. Do you want me to talk about that now, or do you want to wait until we
0: hit that? Point? We're, we're, we can go there. I was just going to say that your story from A Red, Red Rose does carry over uh, yes, into the new release, which is called Beneath the Stones.
1: Yes, and, uh, five, and that takes place five years later, Beneath the Stones. So Ashby is now okay. 26. And uh, you, um, do you want a little blurb on that?
0: Certainly. Now, this okay, is a standalone then. book, but, but it... Uh, I believe you say it is a sequel, but it can be read separately. Somebody can go and grab it first if they like.
1: Absolutely, and that was a little tricky to write. So, um, <laughs> because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to give away anything that is going to spoil the be- the beginning, the first book. But on the other hand, you do want to carry on the characters and the situation and the theme. So, um, I found that that was was a bit tricky with the writing, but um, I'm now writing the third in the series, and again, you may want to talk about that later, but um, I'm having to deal with some of the same issues. But the, the blurb on the back of Beneath the Stones is, uh, is this, Ashby Overton has everything to look forward to, including a promising writing career and her wedding at summer's end. But Overholm, her beloved historic family estate in southern Virginia, is in financial peril and it is up to Ashby to find a solution. Interfering with Ashby's plan is a dark, paranormal force that thwarts her every effort to save overhaul. Supernatural attacks emanate from an old stone cottage on the property, rumored to be a slave overseer's abode prior to the Civil War. As the violence escalates, Ashby begins to fear for her life. Who is this angry spirit, and why is his fury focused on her?
0: folks, we're going to see if we can't get Susan to read an actual excerpt uh, from Beneath the Stones when we come
4: back. From Doug Dahlgren, an action series that grabs you and won't let go. Four members of Congress all die within months. Each death appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary war heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search uncovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun, Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. In Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com.
3: Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com a bulldog, for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you.
1: Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy
3: only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
0: And good morning again. We're back. We're speaking this morning on the prologue here at America's Author Susan Coriel. We've been talking about a couple of her books, and we're just now getting into Beneath the Stones, which is uh, something that could be considered a sequel, but yet it is a standalone following uh, to A Red, Red Rose. Just order them and read them in whatever order you like. How's that going? Now, Susan, your books are entertaining as well as enlightening. Uh, there, are, there are major points or themes that you offer in Beneath the Stones. you want to mention a couple of those for us?
1: Uh, Yes. Um, I live in Virginia. Virginia was, uh, of course, the home of the first English colony, 1607, Jamestown. Virginia has gone through every bit of history that America has gone through. Now, we have a little bit different way out west where they had the Mexican and the Spanish influence uh, more than we do. But uh, we had the Native Americans, we had the Revolutionary War, we had the Civil War, and everything that came in between before and after. And uh, so one of the major themes in Beneath the Stones is what I call layers of history and the fact that what happened in the past um, can affect our values and our attitudes, may even determine our our destiny, whether we are aware of the impact or not. And in order to make sense of the present, we, we have to look to the past, the people, the events, the culture, the climate that contributed to the whole fabric of our being today and in the future. Uh, and so that is definitely a, a major theme. Uh, also, cultural diversity. I was even able to get um, bullying into the book, um, forgiveness, um, uh, revenge, and uh, there's a lot of uh, a Civil War history background that I used for this book. Um, and so you've got all the, the theme that went with the clash between uh, the North and the South.
0: You must do a lot of research uh getting ready for these books,
1: yes, I do, and um in fact, I get sometimes I get so involved in the research that um I've, i run out of time for writing uh, but with this particular book, Benita stones, um I had to do a lot of civil war research, uh, needless to say. But um, I also went to some battlefields, and uh, I went to the Museum of the Confederacy twice. Uh, We have a wonderful little um, museum here called the Bedford Museum, which has lots of local history during the the war. Um, I spent a day on a horse farm. I conferred with a friend who was an Olympic equestrian. I interviewed a nearby bluegrass mandolin player, toured a pottery manufacturing plant, and... Spent some hours at a Virginia winery, so um, all of those were uh, research efforts, and um, I enjoyed them. I learned a lot, and uh, they provide a, a real authentic background. I've had a, a lot of people tell me they appreciate the research; they can tell that the book has been researched.
0: Oh yes, readers love that. They, they can they can tell genuine research too over just sitting there making something up. So right. Uh. Right. I'm sure they appreciate it. Now, listen, folks, I want you to pay attention now. I think that we have got a special treat for you. Susan Coriel has uh, agreed to read a short passage from Beneath the Stones, and we're just going to let you go. Do you want to set this up, or do you just want to get into it?
1: I'm just going to get into it. and All I right. think it's self-explanatory.
0: All right, Pete, here hi. we go. Are you ready? Ready. Okay.
1: He climbed down cautiously, the old boards of the steps groaning and creaking under his weight. When he reached the bottom, he turned, held out his arms. Come on down, Ashby. Just go slow. Not to worry. I've done this before. I reached for the first step with my foot carefully moving toward the bottom, one step at a time, leaning against the wall for support. I was halfway there when it happened so suddenly that I had no time to react. Frigid air swooshed down on me from behind, freezing my face, causing me to screw my eyes tight shut. At the same time, something strong and determined pushed against my back, violently, so violently that I stumbled, then tumbled forward to be caught in Luke's outstretched arms from several stairs below. Whoa! He exhaled from the impact of my body on his. My God, Ashby, what happened? I slumped against him, unable to utter a single word, my breathing shallow and rapid. At last, I found my voice. Something pushed me, Luke. I don't know what or who, but it was powerful and deliberate. Luke glanced up at the top of the stairs. Nothing there. I'm going back to the loft to look. I stopped him. I doubt he'll find anything. I sniffed the air, expecting a new infusion of foul odor. And what would you do if you did find anything? Just then, we both heard it, hollow, chilling, trailing away with every syllable. Go away. He's dead. He's dead. He's dead.
0: Folks, that's what you call a hook. Now, if you're not interested in finding out more about this book after that, I, I don't know what. Uh, Susan, where did you, when did you come up with the idea for this particular story?
1: Um, well, I was thinking about uh, one of the strands that I left um, sort of incomplete on purpose in A Red Red Rose, and that is that from the beginning of that book to the end, and in and out the middle, they are looking for the headstones from the slaves that had been lost during the uh, flooding of the lake. The slave graves were kept separate from the family graves on the manor on Overholm Estate, and they hired a historian who becomes involved as a character. But at the end of that book, the Stones, we still have not found the lost headstones for the, for the slaves who lived on Overholm Estate. So um, I decided it was about time to wrap that up. So for the third book, they are going to be discovered, but not until the very, very end. And then uh, I thought, okay, what happened to the slaves after emancipation? And when I did some research, I was astounded to find out what happened, in particularly in the South, well, in the South, where the slaves were stuck, pretty much. They were uneducated. They had no job. They're... they're masters had, the estates had been destroyed by the war, and they were wandering around looking for jobs for the most part, but um, there was a really awful situation called um, the um, P P E O N A G E or slavery by another name, where they were picked up for these work um, groups or work, I don't know what you call them, teams from prison, and they were uh, sent out to work in mines and timberlands and factories and and cotton fields, and uh, they never could get out from under it. They were imprisoned with no hope of of freedom because they couldn't pay off their their debt. And uh, this lasted for actually 100 years, from 1865 to 1965, when the Civil Rights Act was finally put teeth into the amendments on the Constitution. So um, I want to include all that in this uh, third book that I am writing. So uh, Beneath the Stones then uh, deals with um, all of the things that happened before that, and uh, Ashby inherits the estate, Overhome Estate, and um, it's gone into financial ruin, and she's got to find a way to, to save it. So she's going to sell off some of the back land, and that's where she in, encounters this uh, ghost who doesn't want her to, at all, to sell off the land, and particularly not the overseer's cottage. So I get the Civil War um, ghost literally into uh, the story. So I've, I'm covering all, about 100 years of history here.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, the characters, that's something else Uh The research is important to readers, but characters, the development of characters is also very important. Your characters are quite vivid and and actually real to the reader. Are there any particular techniques that you employ when you're fleshing out a character for the reader?
1: Well, um, I do write in first person in these two books, and that is a very intimate uh, narrator. Uh, You get deeply into the mind of the protagonist but it does limit you in terms of your other characters so your other characters are limited to her to Ashby's observations about them and um, you do have to work on uh, fleshing out the other characters through her one way I do it is she keeps a diary all of the Overton women have kept diaries throughout the years and they do refer to the diaries in all three of the books to get information about the past because they're dealing constantly with the past and uh, so through the diaries, um, Ashby writes about the other characters. And then I use a lot of dialogue, uh, particularly Beneath the stone is quite dialogue-driven. And they reveal, the characters reveal their personalities through the way they talk and what they say. Um, I also do a lot through um, the setting. Um, you know, how do the characters react to the setting? The horses and the farms and the rural and the southern Um so you, you just have to utilize those techniques, depending on which narrator you choose.
0: Absolutely. Now, these these two books, they are, well, let's say Beneath the Stones is a sequel, and yet it is a standalone novel. How many of the characters occupy both stories?
1: Most of them. Most of them do. Uh, a couple have moved on in different ways, which I don't want to use as a spoiler. <laughs> And I do pick up some new characters like the historian that I was talking about who's still trying to find those headstones for the slaves. He becomes a major character. Um, and um, I introduce a couple of other new characters. And I'm finding with this third book that I'm writing now that I'm having to uh, introduce several more new characters while still keeping the old ones, which is another interesting balance for a writer uh, when you're doing a three, you know, a trilogy. So uh yes, I do try to keep my major major characters, and for the readers whos who are with me or who know my my work, I always like to put some elderly characters in. They give uh, sort of a archivist uh conscience sort of a character um to my books uh, and I have one uh, Miss Emma Colville who's been a a, a servant, really a housekeeper at overholme from the very, very, very earliest years of her. Uh, life to do that and she's in all three books she maintains her she's still alive (laughs) let's put it that way
0: very good we are here this morning on America's Web Radio my name is Doug Dalvin this show is the prologue and we have the honor of having Susan Coriel with us this morning she's telling us about her novels A Red Red Rose and Beneath the Stones and we'll be back for more after these short messages
4: from Doug Dalgrin an action series that grabs you and won't let go. Four members of Congress all die within months. Each death appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary war heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search uncovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun, Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, in Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com.
1: This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables,
2: fruits, and herbs. Understanding health insurance is becoming more challenging. If you currently have insurance, you've probably noticed that it costs more to see your doctor. And if you're able to keep your doctor, it takes longer to get an appointment. The bad news is this trend is projected to continue. Your costs will likely continue to rise, while your health care choice and access will continue to fall. The good news is, Peachtree ENT Center has the answer to this problem. We believe in taking care of the whole patient, because healing is more than writing a prescription. We are committed to working with you, and we specialize in providing affordable care for patients without insurance, those who are underinsured, and those with high deductibles or catastrophic coverage, and we offer same-day appointments. You no longer have to choose between staying healthy and paying bills because Peace e and Center is where patient care counts.
0: Whether cruising the Strip in a
1: 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com.
2: This is AmericasWebRadio.com the best-in-chat radio designed just for you.
0: And good morning again. My name is Doug Dahlgren. You're listening to America's Web Radio, and we are the prologue. We're here this morning with Susan Coriel. She's from Virginia, and she's bringing to us three of her novels. She's working on another. Uh, The first was actually a very well-received book about bullying in schools called Eagle Bait, and then the other two are Southern Gothic Novels, in the cozy, uh, a red red rose and beneath the stones, and we've been having a real good time hearing about those. Uh, Susan, you set your stories uh, beneath the stones and a red red rose are both set in a fictional area called Moore Mountain Lake. Now that highly uh, compares to your own personal home of Smith Mountain Lake. Tell us, tell us how those two areas compare.
1: Well, um, they're really very similar. It would be easier to tell you how they're, they're not similar. I've changed the names of all of the places unless I get permission you know, to, to keep it. Uh, the winery, for example, keeps its name um, because the winery people wanted their name in my book. Uh, but I, um, the lake is very similar. Uh, the housing on the lake is very similar. They're, I did research to make sure that there was a pre-Civil War home that was still standing after the lake was formed in the uh, early 1960s. And they flooded three river valleys, so anything that was low-lying is now under this lake, very deep lake, 200 feet deep. Uh, but anything that was high up um, could, could have been saved. And indeed, I did find a home. Uh, it's actually still standing. It's not habitable, but it's still standing. And uh, so I knew that it was possible that there would be a farm, a horse farm, uh, that was historic, that was still standing. So I I did the research to make sure that what I was writing was possible um, and then I fictionalized it wherever I wanted to or wherever I felt the need to fictionalize it.
0: So folks who are into that sort of thing could actually drive around Smith Mountain Lake and perhaps see some of the settings that you came up with for your novels.
1: Yes, in fact, just at my yoga class a couple of days ago, someone who had read my book said to me, oh, that tree that the woodcarver used for his wood, is that the one in front of such and such a church? And I had to laugh because I made that up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and she was just so sure that it was an authentic thing that uh, she was looking for that tree.
0: So. <laughs> Would you tell our uh, our listening audience one more time? <laughs> More information about your books.
1: Um, okay, uh, you got cut off a little bit there, Doug. Did you want buy information? I'm not sure what it was.
0: I'm sorry. Uh, just tell the folks where they can find your books.
1: Right. Okay. All of my books are at all online bookstores: Amazon, Barnes and Noble, the publisher, the Wildrose Press. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, as of September 8, a Red Red Rose ebook will only be available for Kindle. Uh, that's through an Amazon Encore program, and it will have a, a beautiful new cover just for Kindle. Otherwise, the print of all my books and the e's of all my books, e-books of all my books, are available on online booksellers.
0: Very good. And you have your own personal um, website, SusanCorealeAuthor.com. Dot com,
1: yes. And, and we invite and people to go there. Yes, all the information is on there, by link Excellent.
2: everything.
0: Now I want to go in another little direction here and bring up a, uh, something. We always have these little interesting factoids that come up. While you were writing beneath the stones, your family suffered a loss, and that's a tragedy. But from that tragedy, there were some some treasures that that you got your hands on. Tell us real quick about that, would you?
1: Yes, my mother-in-law died. She was ninety years old and a lovely woman. Um, she died, and the family was um, going through her file cabinet. And my husband found um, there's a little box, very nondescript box. It said old letters on the front, but we didn't pay any attention to it. We took it home, and to our surprise, it contained Civil War letters written from the battlefront of the war from a Confederate uh, relative, Ned's, actually, my husband's, Ned's great-great-grandfather, who was in the Virginia 33rd Infantry. And the letters were perfectly preserved, and I was in the middle of writing Beneath the Stones, and I thought, oh my gosh, for my Civil War characters, I can use these letters. And um, I must say that they really added to the book. It was just... Um, good karma is the only way I can describe it. Um, and um, if there's time, I would love to read just a little bit of one of the letters. Um, Please my do. character Okay, my character... Um, Jeb Stover, in the book, um, is a dyed-in-the-wool confederate. He actually joined the militia before the confederacy was even formed, or the confederate army was formed. And um, I used this letter, which was written by Joseph Stover, uh, for Jeb Stover, my fictional character. My dear sister, you need have no fears, but that I will do my duty as a soldier. I know the importance of the errand on which I have come, and should it become my duty to do battle against the enemies of our country, I will cheerfully do my part, and I think that my conduct will be such that my family will never have cause to be ashamed of me. Now, Joseph Stover, the real fellow, great-grandfather, was a patriot, so was my character, Jed Stover. And here's some more of the letter. It is now night, and I am sitting in my tent with my nassack on my knees, writing, Our Pfeiffer is passing away the tedious hours by playing on his flute. The soft music flows gently with mournful cadence upon the evening breeze, which reminds me of my much-loved home and the loved ones I left there. It is well calculated to awake fond memories of the past and carries one in fancy back to the scenes of his childhood. The drum is now beating for the roll call, and in half an hour the lights must be put out and everything must be quiet. At nine o'clock our camp is still. Nothing is to be heard but the chirping of crickets and the measured tread of the sentinels walking their posts. Now that is word for word from that letter. And, um, I, it, they had a unique book. way of speaking. They, the, yes.
0: I've read was, some other letters from that period, and they really had a unique way of communicating, uh, especially did. in the written word. Uh, and did, that, and that's and
1: another. Go ahead. Another interesting thing is the flute. Uh, I discovered is actually um, in a case, a display case, at the Museum of the Confederacy in Appomattox, Virginia. I, I just noticed it there, and it said Virginia 33rd, so I went back and I got the letter and I took it to them and I said, do you think it's the same flute as the one the Pfeiffer was playing in this letter? And they went and checked the records and 10 minutes later came back and said, yep, that's probably it. How um, neat is that? That is that's,
0: neat. That's... Folks, I... Uh out there there's a lesson from this you need to go find grandma's old Bible you need to go through it uh, a lot of families have those great big Bibles that have been sitting underneath you know like a like a coffee table book for years you need to go through that thing uh, there's probably letters that date back to this period in your family uh, we're losing these things you know we And are. and these these are important documents so there's a real lesson in that um, I want to I want to go back to uh, Eagle Bait for just a couple of minutes. We're getting short on time here, but the story in Eagle Bait is very much so still in demand, and I understand that you're called on to speak to groups about this from time to time. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that's true. Um, I did a panel discussion uh, a while back here uh, at the lake, and um, I invited a high school guidance counselor, a college uh, psychology professor a middle school vice principal and myself, and we invited the public uh, to talk about bullying and got a wonderful response on that. Uh, And then I'm asked occasionally to come to uh, creative writing classes or English classes or social studies classes to talk uh, about bullying. And um, I'm always happy to do so. Um, I go to writers' conferences occasionally at at schools and uh, talk about my books. So... um, uh, and also, because I wrote the thing twenty years ago, I did update it. The third edition is updated with cyberbullying, and uh, the, the bullies take out a Facebook page uh, against my protagonist and do the you know the text messaging, ugly messages, and because uh, I wanted to update it a little bit for the.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Sadly, it's something that stays with us. We wish we could do away with that, the idea of bullying, but it just seems to be part of the psyche of our society, um, how can a group or a school get in touch with you? Through your website, if they'd yes, like you to would, come speak?
1: Yes, that would be the best way, get, get me through okay. my website. And I'm, I'm happy to, to Skype. Um, you know, I'm, I'll be glad to do any uh, method of communication. Uh, if it's close by, I will travel there. But, um, yes, uh, that is something I really enjoy doing
0: out there. How, uh, folks, the readers can keep up with you through your blog. How do they find these?
1: Uh, my blog is author again, .blogspot.com.
0: Okay. All right. And that information is, is on the main website, I'm sure.
1: It is. I think you can just okay. link right to it.
0: Very good. Susan, can you think of anything that I've left out this morning? Something you'd like to add to this discussion before we close?
1: Well, one other thing is that uh, the the books, the cozy mystery, Southern gothics, are great for book clubs um, because there is theme. There's a lot to discuss. It's not a whodunit. Once you know whodunit, there's nothing to talk about. They are they are full of theme, and um, I do uh, present at lots of local book clubs, and I would be happy to to deal, again, uh, through Skype uh, with different book clubs. So I hope that people will pick them up for that.
0: Outstanding. Very good. Susan, I thank you so very much for coming on the show this morning. Continued great luck with with those books and with the new work that uh, you're telling us about. We look forward to that and hope you'll come back when it's ready.
1: Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure.
0: Absolutely. I hope you had a good time this morning. I did. Now, audience, I want you to... I want you to get out there. I want you to look for A Red, Red Rose, Beneath the Stones, and Eagle Bait, all by Susan Coriel. You're going to enjoy all of these books tremendously. And I want to thank everybody for being here this morning. I hope you guys have enjoyed the show and are telling your friends about us. The audience is growing, and we want that to continue. If you'd like to be a guest on the program, please email me at Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com or doug at dougdahlgren.com i've already had one uh, gentleman who has and I'll, I'll be with him this afternoon so we appreciate that and look forward to any of you folks who are interested in being on the radio and telling the world about your work here next week my guest will be author ann flint now ann authors a mystery set in a 600 year old english tutor home in her novel fettigrew hall The Biography of a House. I hope you'll be here for that. But until then, if not one of Susan Coriel's, maybe you'll look into one of mine. So, for now, I am Doug Dahlgren. This is the prologue. And remember, take care of yourselves and each other. And I'll see you all again in just 167 hours. Take care now.